0: Let's open our Bibles first to Matthew chapter 6. (laughs) Matthew chapter 6. And then we go to Philippians chapter 4. (laughs) Matthew chapter 6. Starting verse 24. And if you can, please stand up for the reading of God's powerful word. Starting verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of this. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for the Gentiles? Seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day its own trouble. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Starting verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. Please be seated. Father, we thank you for this wonderful morning. Thank you for giving us hearts and minds and tongues to sing praises to you. Thank you for saving us and putting a new song in our mouths. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this body. Thank you for each member Thank for each one here. It's a wonderful privilege to start the week, first day of the week. Gather together with your people, worshiping you. We pray that you would renew our minds, change us, make us more like Christ. For his glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We live in a very anxious society. It's all about anxiety seems like everything is to make you anxious. The American Psychiatric Association, APA, says that 30% of the American population, 30% of the American population has some sort of anxiety disorder. And they are very specific with anxiety disorder. And they go on to say that there are many types, many types of anxiety disorder. Generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, phobia, agoraphobia, social anxiety, separation anxiety and so on. There are nearly 300, 300 mental disorders, as people label that. So basically everyone here, according to our society, fits somehow into some mental disorder. The Social Security Administration awards benefits to people that they find disabled because of severe anxiety disorder. So if you can prove, however you can, that you have anxiety disorder to a certain extent, they will give you money for you to stay at home. And what we see in our culture, in our society, is sin becoming an illness. A disease, a disorder. What I call illnessification of sin. Or diseasefication of sin. You're making sin into diseases, sickness, illness, disorder. Instead of labeling sin as the Bible says. So we have idols, idolatry. Sin now is just chemical imbalance. We just need to fix the chemical imbalance here. So gambling now is a problem of gamble disorder. So you think about sexual sins. It's just a problem that needs to be treated with medical procedures. A murderer has mental disorder. Enslavement to tobacco, alcohol, is now seen as a problem of the body. Alcoholism is considered a chronic disease. Homosexuality. It's all part of your body, not your heart. Ed Welch, in his book, Blame It on the Brain, he says, Do you realize that anger, disobedience to parents, anxiety drug abuse, stealing, adultery are all being touted as brain problems rather than sin problems. There was a time when our society followed the biblical pattern and said these sins were like sickness. Because the Bible talks about sin similar to sickness and illness. Right? Both If you are not treated, they will kill you. They will destroy you. But there is a massive difference between sin and sickness. Though, many times, sin provokes sickness. It kills your body also. Sickness, illness, you catch. Sin, you commit. And you cannot... You cannot provide a solution for sin with medical treatment. That's just the cross. So when it comes to anxiety also, anxiety as we see Paul dealing with, we think that's illness. And I'm not saying that doesn't affect your body, but it doesn't start with your body. It starts with your heart, with your soul. So let me ask you, does the Bible say anything about anxiety? And what the Bible provides for us, is that sufficient? Or we need the experts. It's amazing that most people who are on medication for anxiety... They didn't have any hormonal test, any blood exam to see if they had some problem with the body, it was simply saying their symptoms. And the doctor saying, Oh, actually you have anxiety disorder. But if we say that's sin and you need to repent and change, oh you don't know what you're talking about. So that's where we're gonna see what the Bible talks says about anxiety. And here we are in Philippians chapter 4, a beautiful, powerful chapter as Paul is bringing to conclusion his letter, calling this church to stand firm in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1, that would be the final exhortation to this army in Philippi to stand firm in the Lord. And he's explaining how they are to stand firm in the Lord so they can continue the advancement of the gospel. And we saw that the first thing for them to stand firm in the Lord is putting to death all oh, conflict among the members. And then we saw last Lord's Day that they need to be a church that rejoices in the Lord always. A church that's not only always rejoicing the Lord, the inward delight, but a church that reflects the inward delight through outward gentleness towards others. So, I'm not going to spend more time here because we spent time last Lord's Day, last Wednesday. So, let's move to verse 6. Now, Paul calls the church to stand firm by being a prayerful, a prayerful church. But before calling the church to be prayerful, he explains why they must be prayerful. There must be a mass, a mass assassination in the body of Christ of all sinful preoccupation. There must be a, a collective... A corporate assassination murdering all sinful preoccupation, because a church that's anxious will not, will not prevail, will not show forth the gospel. And think about an army, an army in battle, and you have all these soldiers anxious. Let me tell you, they're lost already. So Paul begins by prohibiting the church: "Do not be anxious about anything." And it's important for us to stop here and think about the word "anxious," because earlier this Greek word was used in chapter two, verse twenty, for Timothy. So the same Greek word that Paul is using here, meaning now, meaning now, was used earlier for Timothy. So he says in chapter two. Okay, starting verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like Timothy who will be authentically concerned, and here's that same Greek word, for your welfare. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that the whole body, all the members of the church must have mutual care and concern for one another. And he used the same word here. Therefore, there is a godly, there is a good, there is a, a biblical concern and care that everyone must have in the body of Christ. Amen? There is a godly concern that everyone must have. A good, a noble care for one another. When you are in a church where the members don't have a care for one another, they don't care, then you have a serious issue. Just like being in a household where the parents don't care about the kids. So there must be a good, a healthy concern and care. But, that's not the care and concern that Paul is talking about here. It's clear that he's not talking about the Godly, good, concern and care that every Christian must have, just like Timothy. They are to imitate Timothy in being concerned for one another. So, Paul is not talking about that concern. He's talking about that sinful anxiety that takes over us, that rips us apart. That's what Paul is prohibiting here. To be anxious is to attempt to carry the burden of tomorrow without the mercy of tomorrow today. That's anxiety. To be anxious, to be concerned, worried about tomorrow is you trying to bear the burdens of tomorrow without the mercy for tomorrow because His mercies are new every morning to sustaining you, to empower you. And you're trying To figure out how you're going to handle all that tomorrow without the mercy for that. Anxiety is basically the denial of the gospel. Think about that. Anxiety, to be anxious, is the denial of the gospel. What is the gospel? I hope all of you know what the gospel is, but the ones who are not saved here. The gospel is the wonderful, the joyful, the glorious news that God in Jesus has rescued us. He has adopted us. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the gospel. We belong to God in a covenantal way. He cares for us. And what is anxiety? God will not care for me tomorrow. He doesn't have the power and the mercy to sustain what I need and provide for what I need. That's anxiety. Anxiety is declaring that God is not powerful, merciful, benevolent to sustain you tomorrow. D.A. Carson says that the root of anxiety is unbelief. Unbelief. And that's exactly what Jesus says. Because in Matthew chapter 6, we saw that in verse 32, Jesus says that anxiety, anxious living... Is actually the lifestyle of pagans, people outside God's covenant community. So he says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And then he explains for the Gentiles, ethnos refers to people outside God's covenant community. The Gentiles have this lifestyle of worry and anxiety and concern about tomorrow. Not God's people, because you have a Heavenly Father who cares for you. Give us today our daily bread. And He will provide what you need for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. And it's easy for us to say, yes, but that was back then. You know, today we have so many more reasons to be anxious. And we are truly much more bombarded than they were with news in order to make us anxious. I honestly had to turn off notification in my cell phone because of news. I'm getting news from everywhere telling me all these tragedies everywhere. Grasshopper plague in Ethiopia. Tsunami in somewhere in Finland. All oh, these things in order to make you anxious. So there is an aspect of the Internet that, yes, we have much more access to news that makes us anxious. But it's important for us to think about first century living, Jesus' day, Paul's day. I think they had a much more serious and real threat than we have today when it comes to anxiety. First century, 80% of the population lived close or below to subsistence level. Poverty affected the great majority of the people in the Roman Empire. Peter Bolt, he has two very good books. The Cross from a Distance and Jesus' Defeat of Death. And he talks about sickness and illness in the first century and how the coming of Jesus, all his healings, wore in the eyes of everyone his power over death. And he says, 1st century people lived perpetually under the shadow of death. And that made me think when I was preaching through Mark, because remember the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, she has a fever. Think about 1st century and you have fever. It's death. Fever is your body telling you that you have an infection. And they had no medicine, nothing to help. So, Jesus healing that woman from fever is a picture of Him raising her as if it were from death. They lived under the shadow of death. And you read documents from the first century, you see how anxious people were. Men in the first century, according to Peter Bolt lived about, the average for men was 30 years old. And it's hard to be precise. We don't have specific documents about that, but it was pretty low, the expectancy of life for men, 30 years old. And for these people, under the situation, Jesus is saying, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. It was sin back then, and it's sin today to be anxious. Amen? Anxiety was sin in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, and it's a sin in our day. Even though, if we say that, people get really mad at you. Anxiety actually is the fruit of a pattern of thinking. If you think about an anxious living, when you're always Anxious about things, that's a pattern of thinking. It's a fronel. The same way that you live a life of joy in the Lord is a is a lifestyle, a life of fear, panic, anxiety is a pattern of thinking. It's a pattern of pattern of thinking that has been putting the gospel away, putting the gospel away, putting the gospel away until the point that you can't handle anymore. So Jesus says, and Paul follows after Jesus, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Or, some other versions, be anxious for nothing. That's how comprehensive the prohibition is. Can I be anxious for some things? There's some little things. They think about the things Then naturally, raise anxiety and worry in your life. What are the things that cause you to to be anxious? Family, work, money, health. You have a baby with cancer. You lost your job. Oh, that's okay, right? To be anxious in these situations. And the Lord says, no, be anxious for nothing. Because as soon as you become anxious, you are denying the gospel. You are denying the sovereignty of God, the mercy of God upon your life. The word nothing means what? Come on, my scholars. Nothing, nothing. And don't think that Paul is Bob Marley in Jamaica. Remember Bob Marley? Don't worry about a thing, for every little thing is going to be all right. Here's Bob Marley in Jamaica, smoking his doobie, telling us that a bird came to his door with a message Don't worry about a thing. Sometimes you think that Paul is just this man relaxing in a hammock in Caesarea Philippi watching the ocean and feeling the breeze. Here is a man in a prison, in a dungeon, waiting for people to bring him food. Not knowing if his head is going to be cut off or if he's going to be alive. Not being able to be with brothers and sisters, not being able to do what he loves the most, be with the church, planting church. So it's not a man who doesn't know about anxiety. Here's a man who knows very well, and he tells us the cares of the churches are heavy on me. And he tells us, be anxious for nothing. And it's a glorious, and I hope you can see two aspects of this prohibition. Every prohibition coming from the mouth of God is good. Amen? Every prohibition is wonderful. We live in a time that, oh, don't ever use prohibitions. No. There are so many prohibitions in the Bible. And it's beautiful. It's good. So there are two aspects of this prohibition. It's good, it's glorious, and we also must behold the severity of this prohibition. The goodness is the fact that God is telling His children, His church, do not be anxious. Anxiety devours you. J. Adams, he writes, worry tends to destroy the body. It can put ulcers on the stomach, Sap vitality out of living and drive us to an early death. Worry makes us incapable of handling life's problems. Worry keeps us from assuming responsibilities and engaging activities in the service of Jesus Christ. Worry is sin. Proverbs twelve twenty-five says that an anxious heart makes a man what? Way down. Heavy. And it's true, because you think about the heart, the mind of an anxious person is restless. It's always moving, thinking about things. This person cannot rest. Therefore, he gets weighed down. Heavy. Tired. And the Lord, in His goodness and kindness, He cares so much about His people that He says, No, do not be anxious about anything about anything the english word worry comes from the german worgen to choke to strangle and that's exactly what worry does ungodly worry ungodly anxiety it strangles your soul and then it moves from the soul to the body it begins in the heart and moves to the body it gives you headache Pain, loss of appetite, loss of sleep, stomachache, leading to cancer many times. Anxiety chokes the gospel in your life. Remember the parable of the seed. And the cares, the cares, the cares choke the seed of the gospel. Anxiety chokes the gospel in your life causing it to be fruitless. It strangles all joy, strangles all thankfulness, and it strangles all desire to service. So it's very gracious of the Lord to command us and prohibit us to say, "Do not be anxious." And maybe we should do that more often to brothers and sisters who are anxious. Instead of feeding their sin, instead of treating that sin as a pet, oh, that's okay. Maybe we need to confront in a very loving, gracious way, say, no, put to death. That's gonna kill you. The Lord is so good to prohibit us of being anxious. But also, we need to behold the severity of this prohibition. It's good, but it's very severe, because once we start disobeying, we are doing what? Sinning. It's a sin. If our lives are marked by anxiety, then it's a mark of a sinful lifestyle. As Jesus Himself who said three times, He commands us. Look at that. Do not be anxious. Therefore, do not be anxious. Therefore, what? We have a Trinity here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit telling us. Do not be anxious. We have the mouth of three witnesses. Do not be anxious. And can anybody stand up here this morning and say, Jesus, you have no idea about anxiety, about problems that are coming your way. Paul, you have no idea about my suffering. Jesus, you have no idea what's going on in my life. Can anybody here stand up today and say that? Anxiety is a sin because it denies the gospel. A church full of anxious members is a horrible reflection of the gospel. Anxiety in the church perverts the good news of great joy that the Lord of the universe is for us. Imagine how contradictory it would be for a church with its members to be preaching the good news of a God who cares for His people. A God who loves His people. A Jesus who says, come to me and I'll give you rest. you imagine you begging someone, preaching, come to Jesus, He's going to give you rest. And then you go home. And you cannot handle yourself of all the anxiety and the worry that you have. That's a contradiction to the Gospel. That's why it's a sin must be put to death. That's why Jesus declared that anxious living is the mark of the pagan world. It's a manifestation of not having God as your heavenly Father. And today, brothers and sisters, we have a wonderful, we have a wonderful time in America, for us as a church, to show this truth here that we have a God who is sovereign. We have a inflation coming, financial crisis coming tyrannical government taking over, the jurisdiction of the family, the church, everything to make people anxious. And yet, that's the great opportunity for the church to show themselves to be children of a heavenly Father and not be anxious. Amen? Anxiety causes you to worry about that which you don't have and hinders you from rejoicing on what you have. Right? Right? Anxiety causes you to worry about what you don't have. It's future. That's why you're anxious. It's future. You don't even have that. And hinders you from rejoicing in what you have. Christ Jesus. His people, His church, His blessings. Anxiety does not change anything in your life. But negatively. you Remember, Jesus, who can add an hour? You're not, not going to change your future by being anxious. Anxiety hinders you from serving the Lord and others because you get so focused on yourself. Anxiety, anxiety hinders you from giving, right? You cannot give. about tomorrow? I'm not going to have money for tomorrow. hinders you from giving, being generous. Anxiety perverts the gospel. Anxiety is, anxiety is never satisfied. You're anxious You get a job. As soon as you get the job, you're going to be anxious about what? Losing, promotion, whatever. You're anxious about getting married. You get married, then you get anxious about other things. You see, anxiety is never satisfied. Just like sin. Sin is never satisfied. Anxiety devours your body, your physical body, and the church body. And according to Jesus, anxiety or worry is a spiritual issue. You of little faith. You of little faith. Immature. (laughs) Oof. (laughs) ooh, that's Jesus' words. You have a little faith. Every time you're anxious, remember Jesus telling you. You're being very mature. Time to grow up and rely on your heavenly Father who loves you. Remember that Paul is talking to the whole church. The whole church; therefore, there must be a, a mass, a mass merging of anxious living, right? Because it's one thing for one member to put to death anxiety, but then you have Matt feeding anxiety in his life; that's going to affect the body. Then you have Matt. Then you have Rebecca. And have Jesse. Even though you're not here, I can see you there, Jesse. (laughs) Weird guy. When he was sitting here, I was always speaking on him. Now he moves over there. (laughs) I love you, Jesse. (laughs) But you see, that, that starts affecting the body. So it's the whole body. Every single member must be working this. This assassination of sinful preoccupation. Otherwise, the body will be affected. The solution. Here's the beauty. It not only gives the diagnostic, it gives us the solution. Not only that's a sin, that's a problem, but here's how we can put to death anxious living. Anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The solution is not drugs, mantras, meditation, exercise, yoga, homeopathy, but congregational prayer and congregational thanksgiving. Oosh, that's very different. That's the solution that the Lord gives. Most Christians think that the remedy for anxiety is just repeating some Bible verses, Right? So usually you repeat these verses here. Oh, be anxious for nothing but in everything. With prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, present your requests before God. But you see, that's a problem because then we are doing just, just like Eastern religions do. It becomes a mantra. We are repeating words out of context. The Word of God is powerful, efficacious, when rightly, rightly interpreted. You don't get a text out of context, hoping that that text will help you. And there is a context. You've got to see what Paul is saying here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be be made known to God. He's calling the whole church to join their hearts, their mouths, their hands in prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. That's worship. We need more corporate worship. That's what we need. Prayer is a demonstration of dependence on God. And congregational prayer is even more a demonstration of dependence. Because one thing for people to say, yes, I believe in the power of prayer. And he's always praying at home. It's a whole other thing to say I believe in the power of prayer. And I believe that the great majority of the exhortations in the New Testament for me to pray is to pray with my church family. Congregational prayer. praying with my sisters and brothers in Christ. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Anxiety is not conquered through private meditation, but through corporate supplication and thanksgiving. Anxiety is not conquered through private meditation, but through corporate supplication. That's what Paul is telling us. And Paul gives us four or three, depending how we interpret here, different words to emphasize the importance of prayer. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, request. And I don't think that Paul is trying to make a. A differentiation between these terms. is just putting it together to show how prayer is vital in the life of the local church. Isn't that sickening how selfish we are? Apart from Christ. Because we want a solution for all our problems. A solution that's private. Give me a drug that I can just pop in my bedroom without anybody around me. Give me a book that I can read in my room without being surrounded by people. And the Lord says, No, no, actually, the solution is not by hiding yourself. It's by being with my people. Start gathering together with your church. Come early to Sunday to pray. Come to the Wednesday nights. Call your brothers and sisters to pray with you during the week. Come up with different topics to pray and give thanks to the Lord. And I tell you, you will vanish. Anxiety will vanish. Either God is truthful and His promises are true. Or else it's a lie. And I take as truth. And He's promising that. Think about the times that we gather together. You have all that anxiety building up, and as soon as we get together, what happens? You see that there is a much larger, bigger kingdom than your selfish kingdom. Suddenly, you start hearing about other people's needs that are much more overwhelming than your needs. And if you truly come to pray, to worship with a heart that's willing to put others above yourself, suddenly you have reason to rejoice. I can rejoice with Susan instead of being lamenting my future problems. So as soon as we gather together, we have a a vision of a larger kingdom than what's going on. Paul is not talking about a 15-second prayer. That's not a quick fix that he's talking about here. That's a pattern of life. It's a pattern of life where you force your heart and your soul and you plan yourself and you prepare yourself to be with the church, praying with the church, worshiping with the church, giving thanks to the Lord is your church. Look, it says... With thanksgiving. That's very important. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. And then he adds that. That's very crucial. With thanksgiving. What is so hard for anxious people to do? Be thankful. Thank the Lord. And Paul adds here. We need the garments of thanksgiving to wrap our supplication. Thanksgiving keeps our times of prayer from becoming a self-pity meeting. Right? Isn't it amazing that he says thanksgiving before the answer to the prayer? He doesn't say, and when God answers your prayer, give thanks. No, 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 no. I know there is anxious, things happening, worry. Come and pray and give thanks. But wait, I didn't get the answer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Give thanks. Because you must be certain that God's answer will always be better than what you're expecting. Dennis Johnson, he writes, Gratitude preserves our prayers from going sour with complaining or degenerating into a list of self-centered demands. Thanksgiving is the natural response to a generous gift, freely bestowed. In polite society, we sometimes say thank you just because it's expected. But real Thanksgiving bubbles up from the heart when we are delighted by a gift beyond anything we expected, unearned and undeserved. That's the Thanksgiving that must permeate our prayers as we bring our requests to the Father. So, I challenge you, when you are getting that anxiousness, that anxiety coming, get a piece of paper, make two columns. Things you worry, things you give thanks. Do that. Get a piece of paper and just, alright, things you worry, things you give thanks. And if you are a Christian, the first thing they write down, thank you for saving me, destroys all the other side there. There is nothing that you can put in the list of anxiety, worry, that can be bigger than being delivered from the wrath of God for all eternity. So you start writing. Start writing. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing me from hell. Thank you for loving me. When I was the most unlovable object of this world. Thank you for providing your Son. Thank you for providing the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for a church. Look at your garbage can. Look at your garbage can. And I see that most of us, our garbage cans are always full. You're always talking about, maybe you need to get a, a bigger But they don't have a bigger one. Look at your garbage you can't start giving thanks for all the things that are inside that garbage. Water, food, car, clothes. Open open your closet. Your drawers. Count your your clothes right down. I tell you, it becomes overwhelming. It becomes overwhelming. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And that's beautiful. Let your requests be made known to God. We either bear on our shoulders the burdens of tomorrow or we just cast upon his feet. Present, make them, make them know. It's not that the Lord doesn't know and he needs to know. That's for you. It's for us. The casting of our anxieties is actually to relieve us, not to inform Him. It's to help us to unload that burden. And the text literally says, Proston Theon, before God. Bring your request before God. That's a beautiful theology here, where because of Jesus, because of the work of Christ, now we as a church, we have access to the presence of God. Before, He was hiding His face. His face had a horrible frowning towards us. But because of the work of Christ, we can come before His face, before His presence, and present our petitions, our requests. That's beautiful. Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection enabled him to be our mediator, and we can come to the smiling presence of God who is mighty and merciful. The mercy seat we're singing here, the mercy seat is open. There is a throne of grace for us to come before him. So let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe Philippians chapter 4, verse 6? Do you believe that? I hope so. I hope so. And I hope you apply that to your life. Prioritize being with the church. Prioritize praying with the church. Invite people over to pray with you. To give thanks with you. Do that. A lifestyle. It's not It's not momentary. It's a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Of Bringing not only your body to church, but your heart. Prepare to give thanks and pray and bless the body. And I tell you, I don't know anybody. I know a lot of people. Not only here in the U.S., in other places. I don't know anybody that has this lifestyle. And they need to take drugs for anxiety issues. Actually, these people are examples to be followed after. And then we move from a prayerful church, as a result, we become a peaceful church. And here's the last part this beautiful verse, verse 7. And the shalom, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, did Paul say anything about the answers to the prayer bringing peace? Do you see any answer to the prayer bringing peace? No. And the peace of God will guard your heart. Into it doesn't matter if you're getting what you're asking for. It doesn't matter how he w- you answer your prayers. Just by obeying him, just by obeying his command. The peace of God will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. And he says that this peace, this shalom, surpasses all understanding. All understanding. And that's important because this all understanding, this peace surpassing all understanding, is in the midst of the anxious situation. And that's why it's beyond comprehension. People cannot comprehend. Why do you have this? Peace. Why do you have this shalom, this harmony, this wholeness in this horrible situation? That's very important, because sometimes we think, oh, if the Lord answers this prayer, then I'm going to have peace." Sometimes people are having issues and we say, "Oh Lord, give them peace." But wait a second. Is this person obeying the Lord by being with the church, praying with the church, giving thanks with the church? Because that's how he's going to answer, giving peace. His peace defies human logic, man's intellect. It's not like you can bring to the lab and try to examine. Here, let me see why Kant has so much peace in this situation. You can't. It's beyond human comprehension. One scholar says, God's peace is more wonderful than man can imagine. It's so marvelously vast that no human mind can ever fully comprehend its significance. So it's not just tranquility. Sometimes we think about peace as tranquility. Oh, well, there is an aspect of tranquility. But the peace that God gives, first of all, is the peace with Him, is the shalom, is the restoration of a relationship with Him. Amen? Therefore, having peace with God. Romans chapter 5. Shalom. Our relationship has been restored. And now we come to His presence. Let me ask you. Is there anxiety in God's presence? Is there anxiety in God's presence? No. No. He's a God of peace. Shalom. And now we can come into His presence. And that peace that we have with God now is manifested in our lives. And he says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, we will guard that's a powerful word. We'll guard your hearts and your minds. Frutel not fronel, but Frudel, is a vivid military term used of a detachment of soldiers who stand guard over a city and protect it from attack. Another military word that Paul is using here. The Roman Empire, for example, in Philippi. Think about Philippi. They would send the Roman soldiers. A vast detachment of soldiers to protect that city. Because there was a colony of Rome. And that's the same word that Paul is using here. Paul paints a picture of the peace of God as protective, strong, mighty. Standing guard to protect the church. It's a militant. It's a violent peace. Isn't that amazing? It's a militant and violent peace. And it has to be militant. It has to be violent. Because the attacks of the enemy, they're merciless. They're violent. So you need a peace that's that strong to withstand the attack of the enemy. One scholar says, because God's peace, because God's shalom is on duty. They do not have to be anxiously scanning the horizon for new threats. Alert? Yes. Anxious? No. Alert? Always. Sober-minded? Yes. Anxious? No. And let me tell you, the, the people in Philippi, they, they knew, they knew very well about peace. The Pax Romana. They knew that. That that was one of the major things about the Roman Empire was the the Pax Romana. The peace that they were providing to people. But how did they guard that peace? Do you know how they guarded that peace? With much bloodshed. The peace that the world provides is guarded with violence. Violence. And that's the opposite of the peace that the gospel provides. You see, the peace that the world provides is guarded by violence. The peace that the gospel provides guards us. And he says that this peace will guard our hearts, our cardia, and our minds. The inner, the inner man, feeling, thinking, acting. Would be you have heart and mind. They'll be the same as Pronell. The emotions, the thinking, the feeling, thoughts. So I played with the words and I said, Our frontel becomes fruel. Our fronel becomes fruel, guarded by his peace. And notice also he says here's where the peace is, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds where? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. There is absolutely no peace outside Christ Jesus. There is not a single drop of peace outside Christ Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace, He is the Lord of Peace, and there is no peace outside Him. That's the only place that you can have peace. In Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? If you're not in Christ Jesus, run to Him. Run to Him. Today is the day. The Lord says, today is the day. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is the day. Run to Him. Run to Him. And you can find this shalom, this peace, this harmonious relationship with God. Where everything's okay now. Everything's okay. And He guards us, He protects us with a militant peace that surrounds us and defend us. Father, we thank you for your word, how we need your word to change us, to transform us. We ask you to forgive us for being anxious for so many things, Lord. Please wash us in the blood of Christ. Set us free from anxiety, worry. Help us to do that by following your commands, by gathering together with brothers and sisters in Christ, praying, rejoicing, giving thanks. And you promise, and we hold to your promises. They are true, Lord. Much, much more reliable than all the words of doctors around us. As we obey you, your shalom will guard, stand guard in our hearts and in our minds. Thank you for Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The Lord of peace. Thank you for placing us in union with Him. And for those who are not in Christ today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be dragging, drawing them to Christ. To understand true love, to experience true peace. So help us as a church to be a beacon of light, of joy, gentleness, prayerfulness, and peace in this chaotic world. Help Gracious Cross to to shine bright the light of joy and trust because we have a wonderful Heavenly Father. So help us.